Well, I'm here very early in the morning on Monday recording my sermon because yesterday morning, the 8.30 service, we had some technical problems and were unable to record. And then in the 11 o'clock service, I was informed later on Sunday that the AV operator thought it was a wonderful sermon, perhaps my best sermon ever, but they had forgotten to record the sermon. I remember in my Methodist history all the tales and stories about how early John Wesley would get up in the morning, and I, I just have to think that he, he, he went to sleep around 8 o'clock at night if he was doing this, but being up at 4 and 5 in the morning and then going and, and uh, praying for a couple of hours and, and preaching before he ate breakfast, and I was reminded of that this morning as I got up before the dawn and prepared to come over uh, to do this sermon with a very busy day today to record the sermon. And so uh, I realize how easy we have it as pastors in today's world. Generally, we, uh, we sleep in to a normal hour, we get up, we go about our day, but uh, it's amazing how much a little inconvenience like not having your sermon recorded uh, uh, can throw a wrench into your day and cause you to uh, bemoan the fact. I am thankful for our AV operators. Uh, this is the first time in seven years here that I have had to do this. So uh, what you're going to be missing from the recording are all the uh, congregational sounds that go with a sermon. And I also have this theory, and I think it's backed up by many, that a sermon isn't an individual solo act that when you stand before and with the congregation, and I like to stand down with the congregation and actually uh, be down the aisle back and forth a little bit, that interactivity with the congregation is so important to the sense of the unity of the Spirit around that word. And so you'll hear the sounds of sometimes laughter, sometimes snoring, uh, sometimes an amen, Uh, Sometimes somebody uh, slamming the door as they go out to get a drink of water, but you're not going to hear that this morning uh, as I record. We're talking uh, about the armor of God this morning, Ephesians 6. This is a very familiar passage to most Christians. You learned in Sunday school what it meant to put on the armor of God and what the different parts of that armor were from the belt to the breastplate to the helmet. So we're going to talk about that some. But as I was preparing for this morning, I thought about those instances in my life when I have forgotten to put on armor, quote armor, so to speak, for a particular endeavor. I thought about how when I played football back uh, middle school and high school, uh, even before that, from the age of eight, I was playing football how important it was when you went into the game to have all of your armor on, your shoulder pads and your helmet, your cleats. And then I thought about a pretty famous or infamous mistake made at a Super Bowl. Super Bowl Twenty Six. the Washington Redskins were playing the Buffalo Bills in Minneapolis. And in the week leading up to that Super Bowl, Thurman Thomas, the star running back of the Buffalo Bills, spent a lot of time complaining to the press about how underappreciated he was. And then when it came 
time for the game, you had the kickoff and the Bills received and they were on offense first, and Thurman Thomas could not find his helmet. He frantically searched up and down the benches all along the sideline, could not find his helmet. Finally, somebody located it, and he was able to get in on that first series, but by then, the Bills had gained nothing, and they were forced to punt, and they went on to lose 37-24 to to the Redskins. For those of you of a certain age, you may remember that. Uh, others uh, are too young to remember. It's been uh, 27 years since the Redskins won that Super Bowl. Believe it or not, at the time, they were one of... Four teams, only four teams, that had won three Super Bowls. And among those four teams, uh, the Dallas Cowboys were not named. They had not won as many Super Bowls as the Redskins at that time. But I'm waxing a bit in negative nostalgia here of how much I miss the Redskins being in the Super Bowl. Missing that helmet was a huge and embarrassing thing for Thurman Thomas because you don't go into the football game. The referees, the NFL, wouldn't have allowed him into the football game without that helmet. But I've been thinking this week about how often we as Christians go out into life each day unprepared. God has given us so many avenues to protect us, so many ways in which we can fight the battle against Satan who daily is trying to trip us up and to separate us from our God. And yet we just cavalierly walk out into the world without anything to protect us. When I was a child, I remember in that day back growing up in the uh, 60s and 70s, when we rode bikes, we didn't wear helmets. When we rode in the family car, we didn't wear a seatbelt. There were no seatbelts in the car. There were no child seats. Many of the protective things that we employ today to keep our children safe did not exist at that time. And we thought it was okay. But you know, statistically, when you think about it, 50,000 children every year are killed in bicycle accidents. We played with sticks. We played war with sticks, poking each other in the stomach, in the face. Could have put out an eye. My mom warned me about that all the time. I threw rocks. I got in trouble all the time for throwing rocks. Very fortunate. Nobody was was hurt from that. One time I was playing football without a helmet. This was a backyard uh, game of tackle, not touch. We didn't play touch. That was sissy stuff. We played tackle. And none of us wore helmets except for one boy. I was about 10 years old and The other boy was the son of the Methodist preacher who lived just up the street in the Methodist parsonage. His mother would not let him play unless he wore his helmet. Well, that made him safer, but it didn't make it safer for the rest of us. I remember when Brooke uh, came at me on one tackle and his helmet impacted my face in such a way that I ended up with a huge swollen black eye. Very proud of it at school the next day. Brooke was prepared, and I wasn't. And that's the way we as Christians go out every day, unprepared for what is ahead of us. So in this morning's scripture, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, 
we read Paul saying to the Ephesians, after he has gone from chapters 4 to 6, telling them how they must live if they are going to be a glory to God, how they must live if they are going to wear the name of Christ. He's given them a pretty tough agenda, one which actually is impossible for anyone apart from the Lord. And so he wants to remind them of where their strength must come from and what God has given them to allow them to walk this holy walk. So it says in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now what this really means in the Greek is be strengthened in the Lord. The Lord will provide your strength. Don't be strong out of your own resources in the Lord, but be strengthened in and by the Lord. And in the power of his strength. So we have to begin with that fundamental truth. Folks, any of us who are trying the self-improvement route, trying to see what we have within us that can make us somehow endure and run the race and get to heaven, and we're doing it all out of our own power, that's a fool's game. It's not going to happen. Paul reminds them they must operate and live out of the strength of the Lord. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the devices of the devil. Isn't that an antiquated, cute concept? The idea that there is a devil is foreign to many Christians today. And even if they believe it may be possible, they're not going to talk about it. It makes them sound ignorant. But Paul believed in the devil, and he believed the devil had methods and devices to trip us up. He says, it's not with blood and flesh you have to wrestle, but against powers and against authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against malicious spiritual forces in the heavenly places. You see, so many of us today are fighting our battles in the fleshly realm against each other, and Satan is enjoying this. He's sitting back, and he is just taking it all in and saying exactly how I want it to go. I don't have to lift a finger. They will devour each other. They will cut each other to pieces by their words. And so Christians today are in constant debate with each other. And part of that is, I believe, because we are woefully ignorant of God's word as a people. And number two, we're trying to live out of our own strength and not the strength of the Lord. And so as we each go our individual ways into our individual corners and come out fighting, it's an ugly scene. Paul says, our fight isn't with each other, folks. It's against forces in the heavenly places and we need to be aware and we we need to be knowledgeable of those forces and how they operate. And because of this, because of this battle, you must take the armor of God that you may be able to stand against them in this evil day. Paul says over and over in the scripture, four times he says to stand He wants us to stand up. He wants us to stand against. He wants us to stand fast. He wants us to stand with truth. If we're going to be able to do that in that evil day, and folks, I believe we are in a time of great evil. We see it in the media every day. We become 
numb to much of it. We start listening or paying attention to much of it. It's too much to endure. Opioid addictions have gone epidemic. Mass murders have become common. Our political system, our politicians, we're not sure we can trust any of them anymore. And so we are living in a time, I believe, when evil is having a heyday. Paul says if in this day you are going to be able to stand, you're going to have to put on the full armor of God. You are to stand with truth as a belt about your waist. Nobody wants to go into battle without their belt. Pretty hard to fight a fight when you're trying to hold your pants up. But God has given you a truth with which you can stand. That is the belt of truth. Put on righteousness as a breastplate. You know, the breastplate protected the vital organs. And it's righteousness that does that. Righteousness that comes from God. And the example that we have in Jesus Christ and the spirit of righteousness that dwells within us. Then have your feet shod with readiness to preach the gospel of peace. I know some pastors, when they get up in the pulpit area, they will take their shoes off because they believe they are on, on holy ground. I'm not one who does that. I believe that God is everywhere and everywhere God is, is holy. But here, actually, Paul commands us to put shoes on. Why? Because we have to go out into the world to preach the gospel of peace. And we don't do that standing still. We need some shoes or our feet are going to be worn out and bloodied. And then in all things take faith as a shield, for with it you will be able to quench the flaming darts of the evil one. The Roman soldier had a shield that was wood covered with leather. A lot of folks, I believe, think the shield was metal, but no, it was wood covered with leather. And they would soak the leather before the battle so it would be wet. They would also stretch it tight. And then when the flaming darts of the enemy, when those flaming arrows came at them and impacted the sword and stuck in the sword, the wetness of the leather prevented the shield, I believe I just said sword, but the shield from catching on fire. And then finally, put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, And keep praying in the Spirit at every crisis with every kind of prayer and entreaty to God. A lot of us, we have our favorite pet little prayer that we're going to pray all the time. But folks, Paul is calling us to every kind of prayer. Prayer that seeks sanctuary in God and the peace of God and the filling of the Spirit of God in our lives. Prayer that calls out for God to relieve the suffering of the world and the suffering of our friends to heal, to bring peace, reconciliation. Employ every kind of prayer. Entreat God in every way that you can. And to that end, for that purpose, go without sleep in your persevering prayer for all God's consecrated people. Pray for the church. And then finally, pray for me, Paul, 
that I may be allowed to speak with open mouth and boldly to make known the secret of the gospel, for which I am an envoy in a chain. He was a prisoner for the sake of the gospel, but still an ambassador, even though he was chained. Pray that I may have freedom, even though he realizes he is a prisoner of Rome. Pray that I may have the freedom to declare that gospel as I ought to speak. He wants to share that gospel with his prison guards and with everyone who comes by him. Nothing was going to stop him. It's powerful stuff, folks. Paul saw the Christian life as a war against unseen forces. He was speaking to every Christian. I know a Methodist. I, had a, I was in a Boy Scout troop, and it was sponsored by a Methodist church. Our scoutmaster was Methodist. This was back in the 60s uh, before United Methodist had come along. It was just about to happen, the coming together of the United Brethren or the Evangelical United Brethren and the Methodist Church to form the United Methodist. But he was a Methodist. And when we would go camping, I was the senior patrol leader, but I was also the troop chaplain. And I had been blessed with a strong upbringing in the Lord in a church that taught me God's Word. And I was talking to him one time about it, about prayer and studying God's word, and he interrupted me, and he said, "Uh, Bob, uh, in the Methodist church, doing all that stuff, the prayer and the Bible study, that is the job of the pastor. That's what we pay him for. Folks, that's heretical. Paul, not one time in his letters, addresses the issue of being holy and sharing the gospel to only one particular group of people. He calls all Christians to be employed in prayer. All Christians to take on the armor of God and to fight this good fight against the forces of wickedness in the realms of darkness. It's clear in all of this that Paul believed in the devil, and I don't know why he shouldn't. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil, we're told in Hebrews, we're told in 1 John. And he had victories over the devil in this life, but the plan of God was that the culminating victory would not come in his earthly ministry, but in another day that is yet to come. Paul warned, after my departure, vicious wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise from among your own selves, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Folks, I read these words and I look at the situation in the church today. And I see... How many opinions are reigning apart from the word of God? How many people are influencing through their words the direction of the church without referencing the word of God? Or explaining away the word of God? Or saying it's not relative to our day? Or saying what's important is that the church in order to grow has to be relevant to the culture and in agreement with the culture and so we will set aside the word of God 
as no longer having any application in our world. And I've asked some of you in this church to come alongside me in prayer. Next February, the United Methodist Church is having a worldwide council, a general conference specially called, the first time we've ever had a special general conference to address a single issue, and that is human sexuality. And I've called for folks to come around me and to pray for me as your pastor, but to pray for each other also. This is a time for prayer, and it is a time for us to ask God to make clear to us where we must stand. And I believe where we must stand is upon the Word of God. That we have come to this point is amazing. C.S. Lewis, in his novel, The Screwtape Letters, was prophetic when he had Screwtape say, now let me tell you, in case you're not familiar with this, Screwtape is a, de- is a demon. He's a high-ranking demon among the forces of demons. And the devil has him employed in mentoring his nephew, Wormwood. And Wormwood has been assigned to make sure that a new Christian loses his faith along the way. It's interesting all the ways in which Wormwood tries to do that. Some succeed and some fail. But finally, Screwtape says to Wormwood, he says, murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. In other words, don't think that you have to trip people up with the grand sins. Sometimes the small, seemingly insignificant sins are just as good and perhaps even better. So he goes on to say, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I believe that's what's happened. We have had this gradual turning away from the Word of God. So many times I read articles in our church magazines and the Word of God is not referenced once, but we reference the wisdom of men and women instead. We have made an idol out of our personal philosophies, our personal feelings, our personal prejudices. We have made an idol out of the culture around us. And now, as a church, we're saying, let's let every church and every, pa- every pastor decide what is truth according to the culture of their particular setting. We need to pray. I need to have the strength to stand up, even if the church does not stand with me, for what I believe is true. What I believe is God's will. But I pray for this church that we can stand as a church unified in saying to those who would lead us astray, as Martin Luther said, here I stand and I can do nothing else. I can do no other but to stand here upon this truth. Finally, we're going to sing the song.
Onward Christian Soldiers. I know that there are people that don't like this song. They think it's too militaristic. They think it speaks of war. They think these are things that Christians should not be about, that we're about peace and unity and forgiveness. And that's absolutely true. We are about those things. But Onward Christian Soldiers is about that war, not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of darkness. It never speaks of doing physical harm to anyone. It never speaks of vengeance. But instead it says, let's go forward with the cross of Jesus going on before us. There's, a, there's an old story, I think it's apocryphal, I don't believe it's true, but uh, a high-ranking official at Yale University asked the uh, chaplain of the university if he could change some of the words to onward Christian soldier. The chaplain asked which particular words, and he said, well, we can start with with the cross of Jesus going on before, because we have students here who are not Christians, and they don't believe in the cross, and I want to be inclusive of, of them. And so if we could change that one line, that would be a good beginning. And the chaplain went off, and he came back 10 minutes later, and he said, how about this for a change? Instead of with the cross of Jesus going on before, if we said, with the cross of Jesus left behind the door. Folks, a lot of people have left the cross of Jesus behind the door and we're marching out into the world without the armor of God and we're being defeated. Let's put that armor on. Let's take take that cross before us and let's fight the good fight so that on the day of Christ's appearing, he will say to each one of us here, well done, good and faithful servants. And amen.